0: I'll invite everyone else to turn with me in your Bible or turn your Bible on in your phone to um, Romans chapter seven. Romans chapter seven. Last week we looked at verses one to six briefly. We'll do that again and finish up this chapter. Now we will not scratch the surface of this chapter. Um, and but I encourage you to reflect and read, and it'll take a lifetime for you to. Do so So I'll read, begin my reading in verse 7 We'll read through verse 25 And we'll pray and dive in This is what God's word says What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means Yet, if it had not been by the law, I would not have known sin For I would not have known what it is to covet If the law had not said, you shall not covet So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good, then, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I of sin Father we ask now that the Holy Spirit would take up the sword of the Spirit oh God this is given by inspiration and we need your Spirit's empowerment enablement unction illumination and so Spirit of God do your work now we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um so this past week I went to a fitness center with my oldest daughter, and she's getting really good at this rowing machine erg thing, and there's one there. And I get competitive that I want to beat her times and 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 try to, you know, show her that dad still got it, you know. And so I determined something. Came to a conclusion. I'm being a little facetious and hyperbolic here. Gyms are bad. <laughs> rowing machines are evil, and they should be avoided. Obviously, it was the rowing machine's fault that I got competitive with my daughter. I mean, gyms are bad, I mean, I go to the gym and I see a bunch of thin, in-shape guys and it makes me feel bad about myself and it hurts my self-esteem in comparison. So they are bad. I mean, we should never be around anything that would hurt our self-esteem and, make, and hurt our self-love. We just need to love ourselves and so we need to stay away from fitness facilities well, there might be the chance to see someone that would not make us love ourselves as much. And only by certain types of mirrors that make you look thin. Because gyms and exercise machines actually cause body image issues. Now, it's not realistic. I mean, these guys at the gym, they don't have a wife that cooks like my wife does. That's true, yes. I love it. I have two daughters that were actually in a competition over who could make the cookies better, and I I encourage that competition because I am the beneficiary on both sides of that competition. And of course, I'm being facetious. But have you ever heard someone say something like that similar about the law of God or religion or faith in Christ? You know, church makes me feel bad about myself. Almost like I'm not a good person. Shouldn't God and his church be encouraging and uplifting? Uh, Why can't they just share the positive verses in the Bible and not those other ones? Um, Well, this is—when we we see it in another situation, like fitness centers or gyms, uh, we're like, oh, that's funny. But we do that. That's one of the responses we have towards the gospel— Paul has been presenting the gospel in detail and in depth throughout the book of Romans, and he does that, and as he's doing that, he, he anticipates as a good teacher the responses and even distortions that come from it. And so man, huma- humanity that is, has ruined his, their life in sin. And God gives this remedy of Jesus and we always are finding ways to suppress that truth of righteousness um, and, or, and change it, to distort it. We saw this right up right from the bat in Romans 1, that there's this righteousness of God revealed. And you know this. This is just something I was thinking about this week. One of the roles, Jesus said that when he leaves this earth, he's gonna send <clears throat> another comforter I mean one like him and the Holy Spirit. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And the Holy Spirit is doing that. And so when you are around a loved one, an unsaved coworker, a classmate at school, and there is an angst in them towards faith and righteousness and, and sin don't take it personally the holy spirit's doing his work he is pointing out sin god is righteous and you're not and there is a judgment and no matter how much as romans 1 says we suppress the truth it always you ever you ever been in a pool and you tried to take like a, a inflatable ball and hold it down it always pops back up, right? And it's actually kind of a fun game to do it and then let it pop up and hit someone in the nose or something like that. Not in the nose, but you know what I mean. Like Hold it down. And and righteousness, God's truth, sin, righteousness, of judgment, no matter how much we try to suppress it, it com- keeps popping back up. It's just there. It's just in nature. I mean, I mean, people will, will convince themselves through ideology and, 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 and twisting of science, but then sometimes, I mean, people, and they'll go through huge studies and try to shift even how we use the English language and literally change dictionary words to make it work out but then biology just happens and you can't argue with it it's a way it just pops back up oh you have to have this and this to make this or this is how this works or this is I mean just there's just it's just truth and righteousness and how God and there'll be a psychological study that comes out and it'll say wow the people that are most satisfied in their relationship are heterosexual monogamous married people and you're like wow how do, it's almost like the guy who designed it made it work out that way right or, or there'll be something it just keeps coming back up we always miss it so we, to, to sin has ruined life God offers this remedy through Jesus and we are always trying to distort it well one of those objections that Paul's already dealt with was in chapter 6 when they said well should we just continue to sin that grace may abound I mean, okay, he gives us his grace, we just keep sinning. And of course, the response was, no, not ever, God forbid, by no means. Well, then, as it got towards the end of that, it said, there was a second distortion that was like, well, then the sin was now permissible because we are under grace. And if we're all under grace, then we can just keep doing this. And that doesn't apply to me, I'm under grace. You'll hear Christians even say this, oh, well, we're under grace. And almost like a permission slip to sin, Well, now in chapter 7, there's people that go the other way and say, well, the law has to be what's the sin. The problem is the rules. The problem, obviously, is the erg machine. That has to be. It's the fitness center. The the gym is the problem. Uh, We have to get away from that. Throw the mirrors away. Well,. And here's what I want to point out. This is actually from a children's book. <laughs> whether you're trying to run to the rules or run away from rules, the rules won't save you. The law's not going to save you whether you're trying to run to them. Oh, I obeyed. I did I did the commandments. I did that thing. Or I'm trying to run away from it. They're not going to save you. Only Christ saves. The law is inadequate to resolve our sin problem. And Paul's addressing that in Romans 7. You know, Christians still do sinful things, and even though we are in union with Christ and Christ has taken up new resonance and management, we still have indwelling sin that we fight with and deal with on a daily basis. So how is a Christian, a justified person, supposed to deal with that indwelling sin in their life? If if we've moved, as Romans five has talked to us about how we've been moved from one realm to another we've been put in grace and outside of this, how are we supposed to now live? Well, and, and, and okay, and does the law of Moses help us with that? And the end of Romans 6 and the beginning of Romans 7 answers that question. It says the gospel frees us and enables us to live the Christian life. Well, how does it do that? Union with Christ. That is the emphasis of our union, that we are in Christ. And I if you've missed those weeks earlier when we went through Romans 6, I would encourage you maybe to go back and listen to them, but or just in your Bible, or maybe you have a Bible a search on, on a, a, a like a blue letter Bible, or maybe you have a Bible software or even just an app just look at the phrase in Him and, in, in the New Testament, and that idea of our union with Christ, that we are in Him and so many different applications of that is such a key thing so Romans chapter 7 and verses 1 to 6 talked about how we are wedded to Christ and not the law. What about the law? Does the law help? And he says, no, we're actually dead to the law. And he gave the illustration to show that we've been released, the, rele- the illustration of marriage, that we've been released from the law and wedded to Christ. That we're, Okay, till death do you part. Okay, you're dead to the law. Now you're wedded to Christ. In order that, he said that you can bear fruit. The fruit that comes out in our Christian life is because we're wedded to Christ not the law the rules don't produce the fruit Christ does we were talking about this morning in the youth class um, the, the genetically modified fruit you might be able to um, the, the illustration was seedless watermelon how many of you like seedless watermelon okay maybe you don't like I like spitting out the, the seeds, you know. Of course, you have to be outside to do that. And I'm weird that way. I even put salt on my watermelon, okay. And there, I, I, I try it sometime. It, you might like it. I like it. Um, anyway... But but to get seedless watermelon, you have to m- genetically modify the watermelon, and there was a debate about how it, maybe it's not as healthy, and you can figure that out. Um, but the, uh, Paul Tripp gives this illustration a lot that you can take a dying apple tree, and you go buy, you can go to the produce store and buy nice apples, take them and staple them and nail them to the apple tree, and for a day, it looks like that apple tree has really good fruit but it's not real, right? And, and there's a certain sense that we try to work up or through the law, fruit in our lives, but the scriptures here saying is like, no, this union with Christ is how this fruit is produced, not through our keeping of the law or trying to do something, um, to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps or to make ourselves or just be disciplined. Um, and, 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 and there's a balance here because there are some people that are not disciplined, And they love to hear that the fruit of the Spirit doesn't come through being disciplined. You're like, all right, I'm just gonna hang back in the lazy boy and it'll happen, the fruit will come. And there's other people are saying, no, I gotta structure every minute of my day and I gotta be really disciplined to have the fruit of the Spirit. But the beautiful thing about the fruit of the Spirit when in Galatians, when he says how it's love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, and self-control, that they're all together. It's not just like the self-control, But the gentleness and patience and meekness and temperance, it's all part of that together in the fruit of the Holy Spirit working out in our lives. And so we are wedded to Christ in order that we can bear fruit unto God. And then um, not fruit to death, because the law would bring about that death. And then likewise, verse 4, receiving Christ and his gospel, we're married. um, Before that, we were married to sin and broke God's law. And then verse 6, but now we belong to another to bear fruit unto God. So the gospel proclaims that Christ has released us from captivity of what can only condemn us, the law. And so this is this this, um, analogy that he gives. So he goes on and makes two arguments in the section that we have to the remaining part of the chapter. In uh, going from verse 7 to 12, he talks about how the law has been perverted by sin. And then verse 13 to 25, that the law cannot overcome sin. So that's kind of the two points this morning. So, um, so it really puts in what is the purpose of the law. And Christians have been thinking about this and writing about this and debating this for a long time. In fact, there's a famous and great debate between the two magisterial reformers of Martin Luther and John Calvin over the ongoing use of the law in Christian life. And Luther held that it was only the schoolmaster, like Galatians says when Paul says the law was our schoolmaster to lead us us to Christ, that it was only for that purpose, and Calvin held that the threefold purpose of the law, that the law, as James says, is a mirror. The mirror shows us, the God's word shows us what's wrong and what's going on in our lives. Also, the laws are used to restrain evil. And there's a certain sense in which the law of God restrains evil, and civil government, as a common grace, restrains evil. If we didn't have certain laws in the land, um, things would, I mean, you might not like speed limits, but I'm glad they're there. Can you think about how many accidents there would be without speed limits? Um, And then the law also reveals what is pleasing to God. You know, sometimes we might do something, you say, well, I'm not under the law, but it does show us what pleases God. You know, I'm not under, we're not under the Old Testament ceremonial laws for worship, but those Old Testament ceremonial laws for worship give us some principles that we can follow. You know, I'm like, okay, I don't have to like, carry the ark of the covenant in a in a in a specified way but i can read the story about how what happened to the guys that handled god's ark the wrong way and how they were punished for that and i can say hi that reveals what pleases god god is pleased when i worship him in a serious way that wants to follow his, his character and what would make him holy and, and, and re- reflect him and his, his, what he's like and might please him and so, and so this, there's an ongoing purpose of the law, use of the law here that I think is, is going on but Paul has already told us back in Romans 3 in verse 19 and 20 that by the deeds of the law or the works of the law shall no man be justified in God's sight for by the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's that mirror awareness, schoolmaster pointing us out. The law is God's gracious way of showing us our faults and his holiness. I mean, there's, we, sometimes you can read in the New Testament, you can be like, oh, the law's bad. And then we read a psalm like we read today about how he's delighting in God's law and how wonderful it is and how he wants this, the law of God, because it's showing God's design for his life. So, it's a good thing, but the law has its limits. Like I said, running to the law or running from the law, neither one can save you. So, the first section here that we want to consider this morning is that the law has been perverted by sin. And this is when he says, Is the law sin by no means, verse 7? If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. And he goes on about how, But sin, verse 8, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Now, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Now, sometimes we could look at some of the laws and say, Okay, don't kill, didn't do that, didn't murder. Don't, don't commit adultery. Okay, haven't committed adultery. Okay, don't steal. Okay, haven't, haven't stolen. Okay, and then when it gets says not to covet, well, now it just went from the outside to the inside because we're like, ooh, there's been a lot of times I've coveted things. You know, even if it's just like so-and-so has cookies and I don't, right? Or you, you go into a restaurant, you order something, it comes out, but you see the server bring another plate to another table, and you're like, oh, what'd they get? I should have got that, right? Um, and, and and so now he's like, Okay, this this covetous goes to the heart. The law is perverted by our sin. Sin uses the law to tempt God's people to commit the very sins the law forbids. And this leads to death. And this is this objection. This is the third objection that he's dealt with between v- chapters six to seven. The law is not sinful, but sin uses and perverts the law to bring about death. As it said, sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. The law brings knowledge of sin. The irony is that by forbidding sin, covetousness in the example here, the law becomes the source of temptation because now you focus on it. Verse 9 says, For I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. It's kind of like, you know, if we have youth group, and Jamie makes a plate of cookies. I've talked a lot about cookies today. Um, And Jamie makes a plate of cookies and says, these are for youth group tonight. Save them for youth group tonight. I was not even thinking about wanting a cookie at that time. But now for the next three hours, all I can think about is, well, I'm sure there's going to be at least one or two left over, so I'll just like preemptively take that one or two before youth group and they won't even notice, right? And um, so I didn't even think about it until the law of Jamie uh, came about and then all of a sudden it brought about all this covetousness in my heart. And so in the same way, the law can't, change things because we have the, the problem the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart no amount of social reform or legislative reform albeit good and helpful in restraining sin especially in like the civil government is a the prime example of that it doesn't change the heart the law becomes an instrument of death so then in verses 13 to the end of the chapter he speaks that the law cannot overcome sin So he says, Did that which was good then bring death to me? Verse 13. By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might be sinful beyond measure. So the the law can tell us what is good and what to do and what not to do, but the law can't give us the power and the ability or even the desire to do it. Did the law bring about this death? No, it was the sin in you. The law is not the problem. We are. Running from the law is, 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 it doesn't save you any more than running, trying to run to the law does. The law is not our problem. We are. It is sin, not the law that brings about death. Sin divide, divides, d- divides and distorts our mind. It gives us this disorder. Um, that this disorder can only be healed by the grace of God in the gospel. The law is God's gracious way of showing us our faults and his holiness. Well, then there's this um, famous and very helpful... Um, Dialogue that Paul does about what he wants to do and he can't do and his desires and this back and forth I this and I that and um, And there's a little bit of a debate about this about whether he's talking about actually There's a lot bit of a debate about this of whether Paul is talking about his pre-converted state Or his state as a Christian And this was one of those where There are people that I really admire and like to, you know, pretty much all. Oh, I agree with, oh, he said that. I pray agree with that too, right? You know, that such and such Bible teacher, scholar, whatever. Um, and this is one that there are a couple guys on both sides of it that I'm like, wow, I really like, ooh, that makes sense. Oh, that makes sense too. Um, and uh, for instance, like Tom Schreiner and Doug Moore both would say it's a pre-converted state. Tim Keller and others would say it's our, po- as, as in the Christian life uh, state. Um, and um, and I think either way, there's an application of us seeing that we can't find hope, whether that's for salvation or even with dealing with the indwelling sin in our lives, inside of ourselves, that the hope comes from looking to Christ. And so, I don't want to, it can be a trap of always trying to synthesize things, but I think in this case, it does have an application both to the unsaved and to a Christian regarding their ongoing struggle with sin. Because the law can't save, and this is where you see even in the hymn, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come I thee for dress, felt I to thy fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die." But there's this idea of, I don't have anything else. I can't bring the law. I can't bring my good things. I need to look to Christ. I can't do it myself uh, for salvation or even in the Christian life and growth. And so so, um, even if if unbelievers, it has application for believers, and we are reminded that our only hope of obedience is through union with Christ and that the empowerment of the Spirit that we saw in chapter 6 and we'll see in chapter 8 only comes when we're in christ and so paul you've probably read this before if not i encourage you to and i'm going to go ahead and 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 read back through this for i do not do what i want but i do the very things i hate verse 16 now if i do what i do not want i agree with the law that is that it is good So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in me in my members, wretched manna that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so how we see ourselves in that, Right? Uh, you you, you, wrestle, you feel that and I love that the Christian worldview one has the best explanation for that humans want to do good and still do bad and have this conflict in them all the time um, and, and also being just revealing this that we are messed up and so how do we respond to that kind of testimony of Paul there and his struggle well the first is that um, you ever like thought you were doing really bad in, on something and then you find out everybody else is struggling too and then you're like, oh, okay. Well, you know, like you think you're like bombing a class and then you find out that like, you, you know, like you, you know, almost everybody else got worse than you did and you're like, hey, not so bad, right? There's a little bit of like you're just, I'm sure it's secretly in your heart Almost every Christian has a little bit of imposter syndrome. You're like, who do you think you are calling yourself a believer? You know what you're thinking about and what you're, when, when, what you, what's going through your mind and through your browsing history and through your, uh, what you spend your money on and what you, what, the way you talk and what words and language you've used. And, 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 you know, who do you think you are? And then when you realize the Apostle Paul's saying this, you're like, wait, come on in. We're all messed up. You'll fit right in right? That's when whenever someone says, I don't want to start going to church because of all the hypocrites, I say, great, you'll fit in. Like, that's, we're all that way, right? Um, and um, so, but it shows that none of us get so far in the Christian life that we don't see our own sin. In fact, the more you grow in your Christian walk the worse you're going to think you are. It's kind of like the microscope. You turn it up one power, and you're like, oh, look at all that stuff. And then you're like, turn it up a little bit more. Ugh, there's more stuff in there. And, the, and 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 I think every Christian here that's been a Christian for a long time, is like, you're more, you're like, I'm still having these same battles of impatience and anger and wrestling and things going on in your soul. And so there's a certain sense of which the more holy we become, the more unholy we know we are, and we're hopeless to look to ourselves. You can't your, your walk with God's only as good as it is current. You can't say, okay, well, hey, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I mean, this is this, this. No, no, no. It's only what, what's going on. You're still wrestling with that. No one gets to the point that you're like, hey, I don't struggle with that anymore. There might be some areas in which you're less tempted than you used to be, but there's probably other areas now you're tempted in a different way. No one gets far, gets so far in their Christian walk that they don't struggle. If Paul is struggling then I think we could say all of us are, okay, we're going to be struggling too. These struggles are consistent with what a growing Christian is. Somewhat we need to recalibrate our thinking of what the Christian life is and what a Christian family is, what a church family is. There's just a bunch of messed up sinners that are trying to work through their problems biblically, right? That's what a Christian family, that's what a Christian marriage is, is two sinners that said I do that are now working through their problems biblically um and, and you, you, that's what's gonna happen uh, you're gonna wrestle in the Christian life you're gonna struggle and I don't be more because there's huge hope but also a little bit of like you're not weird you know' we're, we're ever, if Paul's struggling you are too so then how do we respond it's almost like there's this desperation. There's this despondency that you sense in Paul's. Oh wretched man. Well that ought to be a heart of our a cry of our heart. The, the cry of our heart ought to be, oh wretched man that I am. And we said this before, you don't get to know what amazing grace is until you know that you are the wretch like me. Okay? That you have to see yourself in that sin and you don't understand the gospel until you see that. And as a Christian, you until you're really recognizing that I can't pull myself up by my own bootstraps in the Christian life. When we look at our own efforts, when I look at my own desires, it's discouraging. And there ought to be that, oh, wretched man that I am, that our heart would cry out. But then, and we'll end on the high note, verse 25. Who's gonna deliver me? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin this ongoing battle but it's the victory is in Christ he brings it back to the union with Christ that what you have in Christ this is how you whether you're an unbeliever coming to that that you, th- this battle that you've had come to Christ or you're a Christian and you're seeing this ongoing sin that you have in your life and your struggle with it that you're saying that I need to look to the hope of my union with Jesus Christ, what he's already done. He's already, he's already conquered this sin. He's already paid for it. He's, already, he's actively obeyed and, and, and resisted this temptation. And if I'm in him and I have his power in me and his spirit living in me, I can too. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ that I can do all things through Christ because he's done it. I was listening to a sermon this past week in, in Hebrews where it says how Christ was this faithful high priest who was in all points tempted like as to us, yet without sin. And, and the, the preacher was referred to an older writing at C.S. Lewis about 50 or 60 or 70 years ago, I guess, but that sometimes we'll think, well, so-and-so couldn't help me with this struggle I'm having because they've never done it, Right? that, you know, if there's a guy who's involved in adultery, that I have to go find the guy who's already committed adultery so that he'll understand and help me with that. Because the guy who's been resisting the temptation to commit adultery for 10, 20, 30 years doesn't know anything about it. And what he's saying is Jesus knows the temptation and what Lewis was saying is the people that really, like, like if there's a temptation like if I say, if I put a plate of cookies since that's the illustration of the day out and I say you need to resist the temptation to eat these cookies. I might last till, oh well, three minutes till noon, okay. I might last that long. And you could say well do you know about temptation to eat cookies? Yeah I know about the temptation to eat cookies. But then there's like somebody out here who's like a health nut and you just, you go days. They sit in stale, they dry up, they're just sitting there weeks later. That person really knows about resisting temptation much more than I would. And um, when we look to Christ, so one, there's an example for us there that, that we can follow the, those that have resisted sin and understand temptation. Um, but when we look to Christ, who was tempted, yet without sin, he's been there, and he said no. So whatever you're tempted with this week, you're like, I am in Christ. Thanks be to God. He was tempted in this. He went through this. He went through the loss of loved ones and wasn't bitter. He went through this. He was lied about and betrayed. He was he was spit upon. He was he he was mocked. He was he had best friends turn on him and he didn't respond sinfully. He didn't have a lot he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He he did so I'm in him. I can follow that example. And this is this union with Christ fuels everything for us. And so I hope that this might be something that we would Remember that running to the law, the rules, won't help us. Um, Like, it's not going to save us. But neither is running from them. Not going to the gym, those are bad, right? Um, But running to Christ and looking to Christ, that's where the salvation comes. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray together.